Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 32, various verses from Psalm 32. It is a psalm that reminds us that if we don't acknowledge our sin, then we'll never know what it is to be pardoned from those sins. We'll never know the happiness that comes through Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has provided us. How blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you gave the guilt of my sin. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Well, I'm going to give you a moment to shout here in a second. By that, I want you to sing enthusiastically as we sing about the grace of God. 705 in your Trinity hymn books, 705, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord.
Let's bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have shown us grace. We thank you, Father, that you are gracious toward us, that you do not give us what we deserve, but because of your great mercy, you have shown us grace. We thank you, Father, for the hope that we have, not because of what we have done, but because of what your Son has done. We thank you, Father, for his willingness to lay down his life. Thank you, Father, that we can be called the children of God because of the work of Christ. Father, we thank you that we can gather together today as your people. Pray that we might be faithful in lifting up praise and worship to you. Pray, Father, that you would come and speak to us. Help us, Father, to be strengthened in our walk. Pray, Father, that you would be with those who aren't able to be here today and pray that you would draw near to them. Pray that they might feel your presence and remember and be able to worship you in the place that they find themselves. Father, we do pray that you'd be with our Pray that it might indeed be useful in our lives and honoring to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now in the hymns of grace, the hymns of grace 348, facing a task unfinished. In this hymn, I don't read music, but I understand we're to sing the first verse and then sing the second verse before we go to the chorus, sing the third verse in the chorus, the fourth verse, and the chorus and repeat the chorus. So hopefully we'll all be on the same page and do it together as we think about the need of going into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 348 Hymns of Grace.
For our consecutive scripture reading this morning, we are moving to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. The book of Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels, and as we begin reading through it, um, we will see that Mark does not go into as much detail as some of the other writers, but it's just event after event after event um, that we hear about, rather than going into great detail about them. Um, so we will see many events even here in uh, chapter 1 in the life of Christ. As we were in uh, Sunday school today and hearing pastor review with his class talking about Satan tempts so that uh, we will fail or fall, we see the temptation of Christ. Only two verses. Mark doesn't go into much detail, but how thankful we can be that we have Christ who did not fail, who did not fall into temptation, for he is our hope. Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea, those from Jerusalem, went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stand, stoop down and loosen. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parted and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from them, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. 
Then he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all of the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. This morning we want to pray especially for the ministry in in Haiti. Uh, This past Wednesday we read a letter from the Trinity Bible Church in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, with Pastor Gutzman. And they've got a, a work going on in Haiti. Uh, they've got the Ministerial Academy. They have pastor's conferences they're leading. They also have a training program to help them economically, in which they're trying to help the poor people of Haiti to develop businesses and jobs and so forth. And we pray that God might bless that endeavor as well. Let us seek our God together in prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, as we have heard your word read to us this morning, we are reminded that Jesus himself preached the gospel of God. And that the heart of that gospel that he proclaimed was that the time of fulfillment had come and the kingdom of God was at hand. And Father, we pray that we too would proclaim that gospel. That there is a kingdom that is not of this world, but it is a kingdom which many of us gathered here this morning are a member of because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We thank you for the gospel and the proclamation that Jesus Christ gave his life, was buried, and rose again. That we might know the forgiveness of sin, that we might know our sins are pardoned, and we've been reconciled with you. Father, how we pray that as we look around and all that's going on in our day, as we see the evil and the unrest and the unlawfulness and being carried out, the immorality. Father, there is only one hope, and that hope is found in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And therefore, may we proclaim that gospel. May you bless it to the end that others would be added to the kingdom of God. Father, would you do a work in hearts and lives to that end, granting them faith and repentance. Father, we pray not only for the opportunities that we have within our community, but we pray for your work as it's carried out in various places. We thank you for the church there in Santo Domingo and their concern for the people of Haiti. Father, we pray that you would bless their endeavors, endeavors to train men to be faithful shepherds there in the Trinity Ministerial Academy. Father, we pray for the two other pastors' conferences that they will be leading in that nation, and how we pray that you'll bless and use it to help the shepherds of your people. Father, we pray as well for their endeavor to help men create jobs and start businesses. Father, we pray that you will bless their efforts. We thank you for their willingness to so give of themselves to help in that endeavor. We pray your blessing upon it. So, Father, we thank you for the church there in the Dominican. We thank you for their concern for the people of God there in Haiti. And how we pray that in days to come, you would be pleased to so work that we might hear of, of, of not only churches being built in that place and the people of God gathering together, but we would hear that you've blessed them even economically and helped them to get out of this poverty. So, Father, we pray for them and ask your blessing upon them. Draw near to us. Help us to chase sleep away. Help us to give ourselves alertly to the Word of God and then to rightly apply it to our hearts and lives. Come by your Spirit. Do not leave us, but meet with us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace once again, turning to 272, 272, the power of the cross. Let's stand together as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let me read one verse in your hearing. We'll look together at most of this chapter. Let me read the first verse in your hearing. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 1. At the end of every seventh year, you shall grant a remission of debts. As, as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 15, Moses is still dealing with the concern that he began expressing back in chapter 14 and verse 22. And the concern that Moses has for the children of Israel is that once they have settled in the promised land and begin to enjoy cities that they have not built, houses full of goods which they did not fill, have cisterns that they did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which they did not plant. When they get to that point where they're eating and are satisfied, beware that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The concern is that, that once they enter the land, once they've settled, they would forget the goodness and mercy and grace of their great God. And so Moses is reminding them of various things that God has told them to do, and in being obedient, they will be reminded of God's mercy, grace, and greatness. We need to be reminded. We have a tendency to forget. That's why, as a church, we come to the Lord's table. We're told to do so. Why? In remembrance of me. It is one of the reasons that the children of Israel were commanded to remember the Sabbath. Remember back in chapter 5 and verse 13, 15? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And you shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to observe the Sabbath day. There was a reason to set aside this day, and that was so that they don't get so caught up in their busy schedules that they forget the Lord and His grace and mercy to them in bringing them out of Egypt. It was a means by which 
they would recall the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. Now, as we come to Deuteronomy 15, he writes and tells us about the Sabbath year. One in seven years. Now, they've already been instructed about the year of Sabbath in Exodus chapter 23 and in Leviticus 25. But Moses is now reminding them of that Sabbath year. And as they settle in this land, and as they enjoy the good things that God will provide for them, every seven years he gives direction concerning a man who's in debt, concerning a man who is poor, and even every seven years, a man who was a slave. And in doing so, there's more here than just economics. Many times when one preaches from this text, they, they preach about going in debt, not going in debt, about the economy, about how we should look out for the poor man and, and, and how we should treat him and so forth. But, but I believe there's more to this than just that. And if that's all you take from here, you're missing out something very important. Because I believe Moses is reminding them of the Sabbath year in order that they might remember again the goodness, mercy, and grace of God towards them. And as they obey these instructions, they are reminded of that very fact. God has been so good to me. His grace and His mercy I have experienced. So it is my prayer. And, and this week somebody asked, for the last couple of weeks I've had somebody ask, but somebody asked, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, the year of Sabbath. And he said, I'm not sure I would touch that. To which... We have to touch it because I'm preaching through Deuteronomy. But I think there's some important lessons that we can learn about our relationship to God and His grace and His mercy and goodness towards us that's important that we do not forget. And so as we open up the first 18 verses, we will see a debtor, who will know forgiveness. We will see a, a poor man who receives generosity. And we will see a slave who knows freedom. And that sort of describes us, doesn't it? Spiritually. Debtors. Poor men. And slaves to sin. So follow along. First of all, as the first six verses, we see and are reminded that God is a pardoning God. God is a pardoning God. Follow as I read the first six verses. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant remission of debts. This is the matter of remission. 
Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there will be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all this commandment for which I am commanding you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as He has promised you, and He will... He and you will lend to many nations, and you will not borrow, and you will rule over many nations, and they will not rule over you. Well, there's two things I would point out in these six verses. First of all, the simple instructions. The simple instructions are found there in verse 1. At the end of seven years, you shall grant remission pardon, forgiveness of debt. Now, there is some question as to exactly what this means. If you've loaned, and and again, we tend to think with American culture, when we think of a creditor, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You think of credit cards or loans of money. But, But here we primarily have the idea of loaning others seed, or oil, or other things that they might have need of, bread to eat, something like that. So you've loaned them these things, and on the Sabbath year, every seven years, they are to be forgiven. Now, Now the controversy lies in, does this mean the debt is forgiven for just that year, and begins... After the year's over? Or does it mean it's forgiven altogether? Now, that is a controversy. That, and if you listen to the experts, they, they fall all over the place. And most of us would like to think that it was a forgiveness forever. That you forgave their debts completely. And believe me, there are some men who are convinced of that reality, and and there are other men who are convinced, no, it's just for that year. But nevertheless, on the Sabbath year, and I'm not going to resolve that controversy. I can tell you what I think, but that's worth about what you pay for it. On the seventh year, there is the forgiveness of debts that were owed to you. So that's the simple instructions. There's to be pardon. There's to be forgiveness. Secondly, notice in these six verses the detailed explanation. The detailed explanation. If you are a creditor, you're to release the debtor of his obligation of repayment. He is not to be required, it is not to be required of his neighbor or his brother. And that declaration was proclaimed. It says there there at the end of verse 2, 
The Lord's remission has been proclaimed. This is the act of God. This is His instruction. The idea of forgiveness and pardon. Now, now there was a qualification with regard to releasing a debt. It was not unlimited. If you had loaned things to a foreigner, you could still collect that debt. It was just your, your brothers, your, your neighbors, your, your fellow Israelites. But your brother's debt was to be pardoned. And we see here, by way of explanation, if you do this, because let's say, and I don't even try to figure out how this works, let's say it's the sixth year, and I'm going to loan you what you have need of for repayment. Your repayment plan will only go for a year. Whether the debt's paid off or not, when the end of that sixth year comes, the debt is forgiven. And so the man who has loaned his goods may say to himself, what's going to happen to me? How how am I going to get paid back? And we notice that in this explanation, God says, if you obey me, I will bless you as he has promised you. And you will lend many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If you obey me, if you do, trust me, I will bless you. And Israel will become a major mercantile state, wealthy enough to lend to other nations and even rule over them. But you must obey me. Israel had a hard time learning that lesson. Here's the promise, blessing, if you obey me. What do they do? They rebel. They go after other gods. And so if they obey God, they would know of God's graciousness. There will be a sense of the Lord's blessing upon the land. He will bless them. But they must obey. Only listen to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all this commandment which I am commanding you. And so every seven years there would be this recognition. First of all, you're a debtor. Second of all, There can be forgiveness on that seventh year, and the debt will be wiped out. Can you imagine? I I don't know how many of you have been in debt. I have a feeling most of us have been at one time or another. Can you imagine the feeling of being debt-free? And not owing anything. Can you imagine you, you've taken out a loan, you have a creditor, and, and you know what it's like. I mean, all right, 
Dave Ramsey. This would be a wonderful plan for the Dave Ramsey plan. Start with your smallest and work down to your largest debt. Well, that means the largest debt in seven years would be just forgiven, you know. All right. But nevertheless, it would be a wonderful experience to know that my debt is paid in full. And I'm no longer a debtor, but I've been pardoned, forgiven. And spiritually, that's the experience of every true believer. There is pardon with God for a debt we owe. Debt is our sins. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts our trespasses, our sin. There, there, there is this debt we owe, but that debt can be forgiven through Jesus Christ so that now our debt has marked paid in full. My sins are gone. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, we read these words, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will remember your sins no more. I will blot out your transgressions. But not only that, I won't even remember them. I don't know how well the Israelites did this. If you owed me money and the seventh year came, and I have to say, debt is paid in full. I blotted it out. It's no longer there, but I might remember. You know, when I'm passing by your house and, and I'm smelling a juicy steak on the grill and I'm having hamburger and I'm wondering, that's the guy that owed me some money and, and I paid the debt and, and now he's eating... Well, so we can blot out the debt, but still remember. But God says, I will not only blot out the debt, I'll remember the debt no more. So we see that God is a pardoning God. Secondly, we notice that God is a compassionate God. Follow as I read, starting in verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to give him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware! that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year of remission is near and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother and you give him nothing and then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not gr be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertaking. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. 
Here we see the compassionate God, the, the generous God. Here, here we see a poor man who experiences generosity. Now again, notice the simple instructions. The simple instruction, verse 7. If there is a poor man within, within, with, with you, one of your brothers, you shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. So there's a poor man who has need. Who, why is he poor? We're not told. Did, did he experience some catastrophic ex- problem in his farm? Did, did something happen to his crop? Was it a year of drought? And he did, we're not. He's a poor man. And he's a brother. And you have the wherewithal to help him You're to be generous in giving him what he lacks. That's the simple instruction. But notice then, secondly, the detailed warning. There are four warnings that he gives. He imagines as as you come upon this poor man, what your reaction might be. And he warns us about these things. The first warning is don't have a hard heart. Don't have a hard heart. You shall not harden your heart. God takes such a disposition very seriously. When you ignore the need of your brother, God will take notice. So don't harden your heart. Secondly, don't close your hand. Nor close your hand from the poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and generously lend to him sufficient for his needs. You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor, to the needy and poor of your land. Don't don't have a closed fist. This is mine. I, I don't want. What happens? I mean, he gives that example. Uh, what happens if if it, it's the sixth year and the seventh year is coming? And am I going to close my hand or am I going to still be generous? Beware of base thoughts. That is evil thoughts. The year of release is coming. You see, God not only knows what your actions are, but He also knows the spirit in which you give. God knows both of these, and He takes note of them. And finally, He says, don't have a resentful spirit. A resentful spirit. Your heart shall not grieve when you give to Him. It's to be done with a willing spirit. Not out of... Compulsion, not not out of being compelled, but but gladly, gladly give to that poor man who is in need. Do it with a willing spirit. So he warns us. He warns us that when you see someone in need, beware that you don't have a hard heart, a closed hand, a base thought, or a resentful spirit. All these might show up when that occasion comes that. You need to help someone who's in need. And as they gave, 
Here's a poor man, and, and they give, and they give with a willing spirit, and they give what he is lacking. In doing so, they, they reflect the God who showed compassion upon them. He's a God who showed them grace. He didn't shut up his heart, but he gave his only begotten Son. And by His grace, He's come to needy sinners. And by His grace, He has released them. And He's given them generously His Son to take the wrath that they deserve. It's a, it's a reminder every, every year as, as the poor's around us and, and they give the children of Israel there in the promised land. It would be a reminder to them of how good God has been to them. He's brought them out of the land of Egypt and now we're going to give them this wonderful promised land which they don't deserve. Their forefathers have been rebellious. They've been disobedient. But God, by His grace and mercy, is now giving them this land. And so they're reminded of the compassion and generosity of God as the poor man experiences generosity. And that leads us thirdly to remember that God is a redeeming God. He's a redeeming God. The slave will know freedom. Look at verse 12. If your kinsman a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year, you shall set him free. And when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed, but you shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your fleshing floor. And from your wine vat, that you shall, you shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. And you shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. And it shall come about, if he says to you, I will not go out from you. Because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you, then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and it shall be, and he shall be your servant forever. Also you shall do likewise to your maidservants. And it shall not seem hard to do when you set him free, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man, so the Lord your God will bless you in whatever you do. Here's a slave. Now, again, we tend to think of slaves with American culture. Usually a slave was someone who was indebted to someone, provides him with some goods or service, and he's indebted to him, and now he's got to work that debt off. He's got to work that debt off. And here... The simple instruction is that you have this one who's working his debt off and he will serve you for six years. And in the seventh year, you shall set him free. 
Six years he's going to work, and the seventh year he will be free. And his debt will have been paid, and you're to release him. That's the simple instructions. But notice the details, directions. There are three principles that ought to direct them in this act. Three directions. First of all, verse 14, they were to furnish him liberally. Liberally. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Second, you're to remember your previous condition. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. And third, they were to follow the commands given to them. I command you this day, be obedient. And so here we have this slave, this servant, who's working off his debt. But the most he's going to work is six years. And in the seventh year, you're to release him, set him free. And, and then we read, but if he doesn't want to go, he says, I love it here. I got a roof over my head. I got food on the table. I, I don't want to go. Then you're to take that guy <laughs> and you're to take one of those punches and all and put it in his ear, hit it against the door, all right? And he's to have that pierced ear as a sign of his commitment to this household. Remember, many years ago, a guy my age showed up at a meeting that I was in, a fairly conservative guy, but he, he, he showed up with an earring in his ear, a little cross. And, and this was many years, this was back in the 70s and 80s or somewhere in there where earrings weren't as popular on guys as they are now for whatever reason. All right? and, and it took me by surprise. I'm like... You got an earring. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, I want it to be a seal of my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think that's what this verse is intended for us to do. We're not going to have an ear piercing during lunch today for all you men who want a new earring. Right? But, but it was for this slave... A commitment that he now has to this master. He doesn't want to leave. But, but if the slave wants to go free, you're to let him go. And you're to see that he's well provided for. You're, you're to be generous towards him as that man becomes free. And what a wonderful picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. We were slaves to sin. We were in bondage to sin. And God, by His grace, has redeemed us and set us free. Mark 10:45. Jesus gave His life as a ransom for many. Galatians 3 and verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As we were held captive in chains, 
He set us free. The sim writer says, my chains fell off. Now I'm free. For oh my God has pardoned me. So that as we trust in Christ, we are set free from the condemnation of sin. And so as you read through some passage like this, I mean, we've, 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 looked, at, we've looked at dietary laws. We've considered together clean animals and unclean animals. We, we've looked at tithing and, and what that looks like and so forth. But, but remember, in, in all this, it wasn't simply to put regulations upon them to make their lives miserable. It was for their good, especially in getting into that land and enjoying God's blessing and forgetting God, including forgetting a man's debt. And so we have here a debtor who would know forgiveness. We, we have a poor man who knows generosity. And we have a slave who's been set free. Would you like to hear my testimony? I'm a debtor. My sin has made me a debtor. Christ demanded perfect obedience, and I could never pay that debt. And God sent His Son so that I might know pardon and forgiveness of a debt that I could never pay. I want to tell you something else about me. I'm a poor man. A needy man. I could not save myself. My best deeds could never pay the price. But I have a generous God. So generous, you know what? He gave His one and only to pay my debt. And in doing so, know about me. I was a slave to my sin. A slave to my sin. I was in bondage. I was in chain to my sin. I, I was like a dog that's chained to its house. I was chained to my sin and I could not break the chain in and of myself. Sin had dominion over me. But God by His grace has set me free has set me free. What a great God. What a great God of mercy, grace, and goodness. And may, we, may that be a continual thought in our minds. I wonder, I wonder how much time we spent this week thinking about God's grace and mercy towards us. You want to, I'll tell you something else about this man. He hasn't thought about it enough. Hasn't thought about it enough. So may God take what seems to be tedious laws given to the children of Israel and remind us of our good and faithful God.
who forgives us our sins and reconciles us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do give You thanks for the examples given to us in Your Word. There was benefit in doing this for the children of Israel. There are economic principles that we can even glean from what we read this morning. But Father, how important it is that we never forget how good and gracious and merciful You have been to us. We thank You that there is forgiveness, that You have blotted out our transgressions and You will remember them no more. You have removed them as the east is from the west. You have put them behind Your back. Father, how thankful we are that many of us can say that we know our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. But Father, there's no doubt some who said among us this morning, some who may be listening to us by way of live stream, who are still debtors. The payment has not been made. And Father, may they see that they're unable to pay that debt in and of themselves, being as good as they could possibly be. They're still not good enough. And may today they recognize that they need one to pay the debt for them, and that one is Jesus Christ. And may, may they come to know Him who alone, and through His shed blood, brings forgiveness. So do a work that only You can do as we consider these things together. And pray them in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's sing together in the Trinity Hymn Book 188. 188, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. 188, Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we say.
to know God's pardoning grace is a wonderful thing. I had lunch together, you know, around 1.45 the afternoon service. I, I either have the time wrong or something. There's no cars out there yet, so just be careful. I'm not sure. Starts at 1. Starts at 1. So they will be probably piling in there. Just be careful uh, when you're out there. You are dismissed. Thank you.